great, great to be in church today. I, I thought about when I walked in this morning and I, I said to Dick, uh, you're going to see what the women mean to this church. <laughs> I mean, they're on a retreat. They're having a great time and we're glad for them. But uh, boy, do we miss them when they're not here. So let me just say to you family members, when they come home, let them know how much you appreciate them. Let them know how much you missed them over the last three days. And uh, we pray that God has done a great work and a great blessing to them as they had that retreat together, uh, fellowshipping and learning from the Lord. And that's wonderful that we can do that. We're glad you're here today, though. And the Bible says that where two or more gather together, he's in the midst. So he's here today. No matter who's not here, he's here. And that's what's important. I thought about the uh, I thought about the young preacher, you know, that took his first pastor, and he wanted to do things a little different in the church. And he thought about it. He looked around at the things they were wasting on. He thought uh, in the restrooms with all these towels and all this stuff that we're putting in. And he thought it'd be a wonderful idea if they just got rid of those towel bars and put these electric uh, hot air machines in, you know, like you get at the gas station. He thought it was a wonderful thing. We'll put those in the church restrooms and we'll save all the cleanup of all the paper towels and, and won't have to buy any of those supplies. And they were there about two weeks and they disappeared. Now, they were taken out not because they didn't work. Somebody said, well, who told take them out? He said, the preacher said take them out. Somebody questioned, uh, why in the world would we spend the money to put them in and then you have them take them out? He said, because last week I went in the men's restroom and right above that hot air hand dryer said, for a sample of this week's sermon, push the button now. <laughs> Usually I pick on you, so it was my turn, okay? Well, you know, uh, I think that happens sometimes. You know, we, we, we get to thinking about those little story. You know, it's good to, to laugh once in a while and enjoy. You know, especially after a week like this. You know, we had a uh, hospital. We had Marion had serious surgery and then I got a call. Uh, Beverly's uh, nephew, much younger than us, had passed away this week and we went over there until probably midnight at night and, and then uh, hear the word of my sister going through this. And, and, and so, you know, it's good sometimes to think of something that's a little lighter hearted. Sometimes the burden can get heavy. But I want to talk to you this morning about the cross. You know, we don't hear a lot about the cross uh, in, in the day and age in which we live because, you see, we don't think, and I don't think a lot of people really realize what the cross really stands for, what it really is. It's more than just an emblem you carry around on your, your lapel or put around your neck. And so I thought about in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That means lost. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To the word, the cross means nothing. It's foolishness. They, they think it's just a foolish thing. And, and we see it, you know, most places, in, in all reality. A lot of places, even in the church, we, we, we need to be careful. Because, you see, it's not long until there, there is no cross. It, it's not there. Many places that I go, I can't even find that cross. And so, you see, to the world, it is foolishness. And there's a reason for that. Because there's a cross that no one wanted to see. 
Robert Morgan tells about this. He's a preacher out of Texas, and he tells about an unusual cross that stood in the lawn of a church there in Dallas, Texas. It was a cross that uh, stood about uh, 10 feet high. It stirred a lot of controversy. I mean, a lot of people were upset with that cross, even within the congregations. Pictures were carried in the local newspapers. Some of it was put on the television, uh, on the news forecast. Others put it on the Internet. It was a cross that nobody wanted to see. You see, because it was a cross that was ugly. It was a cross that was erected for a purpose. It was put there around the Easter time. It was an ugly cross with weapons of crime and violence. You see, on this cross they had put large guns and they had put pistols and they had put knives and they had taken uh, broken swords and they had taken glass. And they erected this cross in the middle of that yard on a smashed automobile that had taken the lives of three people. And then around the bottom of that cross, they put barbed wire like you'd see around a prison place. And there were petitions that were sent out to get rid of that cross. It was an ugly thing. Nobody wanted to see that. Nobody wanted that in the churchyard. Even the church people began to sign the petition. But the pastor had a purpose in putting it there. The reaction was understandable because people don't like to be reminded about suffering and sin. They don't want to see a cross, a cross that no one wants to see. We talk about the cross that nobody wants to see. Now, I don't want to talk about that cross that's in Dallas, Texas. I don't want to talk about a cross with large guns and pistols and knives and glass and wire and a smashed automobile. But I want to talk to you this morning about a cross of pain. A pain. A cross of love and a cross of hope. Because you see, that's what the cross of Calvary is all about. You see, when I think about this, the praise of the crowd on Palm Sunday, as Jesus was ushered into to Jerusalem that day on that colt, and as the people begin to praise and they begin to, to shout, Hosanna in the highest, and oh, they were so excited. Here came the King. Here comes the one that they had hoped for and praised for. But here we are days later. As he left that city, and as they had taken him to the place to where he was on his way to Calvary, then we think about those moments in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed alone. His heart was broken. His body was shivering. And, and as he began to think about what he was going to be, have to go through, and, and he said he prayed that this cup would be taken through from him. But he knew he must drink it. He knew he must experience the humiliation and the pain and the sorrow and the death if he was going to become the Savior of the world. He knew that this had to happen. And so he set his face, the Bible says, towards the crucifixion like a common thief. The nails that would be driven into his hands. If you can imagine. How many of you ever hit your finger driving a nail? How many of you ever got a splinter in your hand? And you know the awfulness that it feels. You know you, you, know you run around. I, I've, I've had many of them in doing carpentry work and get them under my fingernail. And for weeks and weeks I would go along feeling that thing. Even when I'd waken in the middle of the night, I would reach over to feel that because it hurt. Can you imagine a splinter hurting that bad? And here our Savior 
that most innocent man that ever lived, having nails driven through his hands, and then through his feet, and then putting a spear through his side. Oh, Jesus knew what he was going to have to face. It was going to be a cross of pain. It was going to be a time of pain in his life. And so he set his face, and, and they drove those nails into his hands and his feet and his spear in his side. And I thought about the grief of knowing Jesus must have known the little impact that it would have. You see, if you read the story, and most of the time, even in the Christmas, in the Easter season, many people don't want their children to watch those crucifixions anymore. Many of them don't want the plays in the church where it shows it anymore. They think it's gruesome. I pastored a church that we had an Easter play every year for years. I mean, it was gruesome. It was awful. But I had people say, I don't want to bring my kids to that service because I don't want them to feel the fear. Let me tell you something. There was people that day that Jesus hung that walked by that never paid a bit of attention. They didn't care. They could care less in the world because the Bible says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that are perishing. They thought it was just a foolish act. And I want you to know that most men and women who passed by, unseeing, uncaring, had no clue of what was going on and what was it. he was dying that He was dying for them on that day. Yet He drank that bitter cup. And you know what? He did it for you and for me. He did it for us. And I thought about that. You know, Pastor Wayne Rose tells a story about his wife, Alice. His wife had a friend named Alice who grew up with Wayne's wife. Alice's mother and grandmother had a bad reputation in the community. This young girl that knew his wife as she was growing up was trying to get herself out of the lifestyle that she was living in, the home that she was living in, and she was trying to find her way to serve God. And so she clicked it up with the, with the preacher's wife. And as Alice was growing up, there was, there was a number of children in her family. The father had left the home. But the mother and the grandmother were known to be drunks known to do drugs. They, they, they sold themselves. with. They would sleep with anybody and everybody. The household was a whole mess. And one day they were in the car as they were driving across town. And as they came to the edge of town, they crossed over the railroad tracks and the car stalled. And as that car stalled on the tracks, Alice realized that as she looked at her mom who was behind the wheel and looked at her grandmother sitting in the passenger seat, that they were both so stone drunk and filled with alcohol that they didn't realize that there was a train that was coming in their direction to them. The whistle began to blow. And Alice looked at them and known that they weren't going to do anything. And so she got out of the car. She drug her brothers and sisters to safety. And then she went back and she got a hold of her grandmother and drug her out. Come to the other side of the car and drug her mother out. And just at the time that she drugged in the safety, that train hit that car at 60 miles an hour. Extravagant love of this young girl for her mom, her grandma, and her brothers and sisters. But it was a tragedy for her. Because the car, when it was hit at 60 miles an hour, Alice was too close to the tracks. 
And it did literally, de- literally tore her head off and tore her body into pieces. She gave her life rescuing her family. And I thought about that extravagant love. That's the kind of love that Jesus gave for you and I, friend. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. And I thought about it. How many of us have walked by the cross? How many of us have just ignored the fact? Many people don't even realize that, oh, we want to worship, we want to feel good, we want to clap our hands, we want to have all the wonderful things. But how many of us realize what Jesus really did for us? I would not be here today. I would not be on this platform today had it not been for the cross of Calvary. Had it not come to that place to realize what Jesus had done for me. I thought about, I'm not much on movies or anything, but, but I thought about the story that is told in the, in the movie that was a number of years ago in the line of fire. Clint Eastwood played a secret service man. And in that secret service, Frank Harrigan was his name in, in the movie. And Harrigan was, uh, was protecting the president for more than three decades. He was there. He was a young man, just a young man. In 1963, when he was assigned to protect President John Kennedy, when the bullets flew, he froze. And for three decades, he kept asking himself the question, can I, can I take a bullet for the President? Can I take a bullet for someone else? For three decades, that haunted him. And then he tells about, after 30 years, he said, he questioned himself, can I take it? And the climax of the movie was that Harrigan finally does. He's able, this time, to do something he could not do three decades ago. This time, protecting an executive, he took the bullet. He gave his life. You know, Secret Service people do it every day. And I thought about this. You know, they give their life. They secret service people. These agents are willing to do such a thing because they believe that the President of the United States is so valuable to our country that it's worth dying for them. I thought, you know, that'll preach. Because you know something? I, I look at this. At Calvary, the situation was reversed. Totally reversed. It wasn't somebody giving their life to save the Savior. But at Calvary, you'll find the President of this universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, took a bullet for you and I. He took that. He was willing to die for us. At the cross, we see how valuable we are to God. The chief executive of the universe, Jesus Christ, took that bullet in behalf of you and me. The sinless Christ experienced all the horrors all the unjust, all of the cruel death. And He did it all to rescue you and me. He died for you and me. You see, He had been a perfect person. The sinless Christ experienced the horrors and the unjust and the cruel deaths to rescue you and me. And the full meaning of the cross is beyond understanding for the terrible price that was paid for our forgiveness. Oh, when I begin to think about the cross and I look back, I think, you know, I, was I worth it? Were you worth it? We have lived our lives. We've done what we wanted to do. We, we please ourselves. And yet there was a 
There was a Savior. There was the President of the universe, the God of, of heaven and earth, who was willing to give His only begotten Son to die that you and I may have life. Sin, my friend, I hear people say all the time, sin is breaking God's law. But I'm going to tell you something. I believe that sin is breaking God's heart. It's breaking the heart of God. Every time we do something that is unjust and unpleasing to Him, we break the heart of God. It's like a mother or father saying to their children, don't do this or don't do that, and they go and do it in spite of it. It breaks mom's heart. It breaks dad's heart. How many times have you knelt in your bedroom or sat on your chair in your living room and wept tears of saying, I wish my child would have listened. I wish they would have not done this. I wish they would have lived a different kind of life. Jesus does that every day. Because you see, it hurts Him when we sin. We see the heart of God breaking on Calvary. First, we see the pain of cross. The pain of the cross. But let, let, let me go to another point of the cross. Because you see, beyond pain, we see the love of the cross. When I think about this, love is not only a concept of Christian faith. Love, my friend, is concrete act. It's an act. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. Let me tell you something. When you know to do what's right, you need to act right. You need to do what you know is right. What the Bible says, and we need to live that kind of a life. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That's one thing to give a son if you have two or three. It's one thing to give a child if you, if you have more than one. But the Bible says that he gave his only begotten, his only son, because he loved us so much. Do you realize today, church, how much God loves you? I mean, do we really realize how much God cares about us? The Bible says he, he knows every hair that falls from our head. He knows every trial that we'll ever go through. He knows every circumstance that we're dealing with today. And he loves us so much that he wants to help us through that time. D.L. Moody was one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever known, other than probably compared to Billy Graham. Stories told about D.L. Moody going to a community to hold a revival. And in that revival, someone had come to him and said, we, we have an invalid that, 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 that we'd love for you to take five minutes to just go see him. And Moody said, I'll go. As he prepared himself to go to the house, they said, this man has been an invalid for 22 years. He said he began to think in his mind as he was making his way over, how could I speak to somebody that's been an invalid and been shut down for 22 years? What do I do? And he began to try to plan that in his mind. You know how you do when you're going to go see somebody. And he tried to think of some things that he could say that was positive. He thought when he walked through the door that he'd see somebody that was laying in a bed that was gloomy with, with a dim light and, and, and no energy whatsoever. But he said when he walked into the room where he was, the man was all lit up. I mean, he was as bright as could be. He had a big smile on his face. He was positive in his thinking. 
And he sat there and talked to him about his experience with the Lord and his experience for 22 years of being there as an invalid. And then he come up with the question of this. He said, young man, he said, you've been let away for 22 years? Yes, sir. Do you ever get discouraged? Yes, sir. He said, let me tell you how it happens. He said, every once in a while, the devil will come in here and crawl on my bed. He'll walk from the foot of the bed to the top of the bed. And he'll look me right in the eye and he'll say to me, does God really love you for 22 years of leaving you lay here like this? And he said, I reach out and I grab a hold of that devil by the neck. And I tell him, I take him over and I open the Scripture. And he said, I show him right here where Jesus loved me so much that he died. He gave his only son for me. Do you think he loves me? Absolutely he loves me. Let me tell you something. I wonder how many of us can look at it from that perspective. I wonder how many of us could do that. Does God really love me? Let me tell you something. That's the question that has given Christians hope through the centuries. That's the thing that gives me hope today. Does God love me? Does God care about me? When things aren't well and when things are well, when things are happy and exciting and when things are discouraging, does God care about me? Absolutely He does. Because the Bible, I'm going to tell you something, Jesus loves me. This I know. And I know we sing that song because the Bible tells me so. But I'm going to tell you something, Jesus loves me, this I know, because Calvary tells me so. When you've been to Calvary, you know that Jesus had to love you or He had never gone through what He did. So we see the pain of the cross. We see the love of the cross. And there's a third thing. We see the hope of the cross. The hope of the cross. And Jesus hung on that cross. He felt the weight of the sin of all the universe on His shoulders. But He also knew that by His wounds we would be made whole. I know thousands of people through the years, probably multitudes of people through the years, that have gone back to the cross and realized and read and knew that that blood that Jesus shed on the cross, my friend, was not only for the cleansing of your sins, but He said, by my stripes you can be healed. And there's been thousands of people that have accepted that and believed that and acquainted that to their life and that are walking today as witnesses of the power of the cross that Jesus went to to bring healing to your bodies and to bring healing to your mind and to your soul. So when I begin to think about that, you know, I thought people have been made whole because of the cross. 2,000 years has been... For 2,000 years, there's been that unique symbol of the cross. I have a cross hangs in my from a mirror in my car. It's a wooden cross. It's about that big. I don't know how anybody could ever carve one that little. But it's a man just down the road, New Philly. He and his wife. I went to visit him one day. And he said, you know, since I became a Christian, he said, I've been, I've been doing these. And he's been making these little crosses. And it says, God loves you on it. And it's a little cross. And he said, and he got it on a little leather strap. He said, you can tie it around your neck. I'm not much the one to wear a necklace. So I hung it on my mirror. And you know what? That reminds me every day when I look at that, what the cross really means. It's a reminder to me. Now, there's nothing in that piece of wood but it's a great reminder to tell me that Jesus loves me no matter what happens. 
And with that cross being there, let me tell you something. I think that we need to realize that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. If you believe that, I mean if you really believe that, I'm not talking about quoting it. I know lots of people out in the world that can quote, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten. John 3.16 probably is known as much as Psalms 23. When you tell somebody to quote a scripture, that's okay. If you get a contest, go and say, who can quote a scripture? The first one to quote. Most of the time, that'll come up. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, you or me, believeth in Him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you really believe that, though? See, there's a difference in knowing it and believing it. If you really believe it, if you really believe that God loves you enough that He sent His Son to die for you, my friend, you will serve Him as long as you can. Someone asked me, someone asked me here not long ago, they said, well, when are you going to, when are you going to quit preaching? When are you going to quit running around the country and doing all these? You ought to take some retirement. Enjoy these last years. And I said, you know what? I enlisted in the service till I die. <laughs> I really have. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what you can do when you know what God has done for you and, and what God has meant to you. How can you quit doing what you're doing and what I enjoy doing? You see, if the cross has an impact on all of our lives. I thought of a cross that I read about in Alabama of a, of a youth camp. And at this youth camp in Alabama up on the mountain, way up on the mountain they got a big cross. And uh, a fellow one night was, uh, was an awful discouraged. He was a businessman, a wealthy man, had, had everything that, that he ever wanted. He had a, he had a beautiful family. He had, he had a, his big business. He had money. He had cars. He had homes. He had his own private airplane. But in being distraught, confused with his life, he got on that airplane. And he was going to fly from Atlanta to Birmingham. And when he got on that plane, he started out not realizing, not looking at the weather, but he ran into an awful storm. While he was up there flying and flying along, he began to think about and the devil began to work on his mind. And he said, you know, the only way out of your problems is to do away with yourself. And so he began to contemplate that he might be able to commit suicide in that airplane. And as he was thinking about it, and he was, he was frustrated, you know how you get when you're trying to get an answer, and he wasn't paying attention to his gauges. And, and finally, when he came to the place to where he looked at the plane, he realized he couldn't see nothing. He didn't know where he was. He didn't know what was happening, and so he radioed for help. He was able to get through to the tower but the tower said, well, tell us, give us a, give us a landmark. Tell us what, what you see. He said, I don't see anything. It's all white. He said, I don't see anything. They said, well, we got, you've got to find a landmark for us to try to locate you in order to find out where you are. And he said he was flying along and flying along and he couldn't see anything. And then all of a sudden, as he flew through the cloud, he saw this big lighted cross. He thought it was a hallucination. He thought, hey, God's trying to deal with me. He said to the people on the radio, I, I, I just came across and I see this big cross. They said, we know where that's at. We know where it's at. You'll, we'll, we'll give you the instructions and we'll, we'll bring you in. And he was, he was he brought, able to bring that plane down and land it in safety. He rented a car. He went over to that youth camp. 
He went to that youth camp and he got the youth camp director, got him out of bed. He said, he said, I want to go to the mountain. I want to, I want to go up to the cross on top of that mountain. He said, man, he said, you've got a snowstorm going. Don't you know it's dangerous to go up there? He said, I've got to go up to that cross. I've got to get there tonight. He said, well, if, that, if that's what's going to be. Now, now this fellow had, that had been this director, he had a lot of stories about that cross. I mean, lots of people told him about stories about it, but he had never experienced anything like this. He said he got him in his four-wheel drive and he said they started up the mountain and the boy started talking to him. He said the fellow began to tell me about all the things that was going on in his life. He said he began to tell him about how he was up in that plane with the idea that he was going to commit suicide. But he said, you know what? When I come over that mountain, I was, I was so scared I didn't know what to do. And he said, when I saw that cross, it gave me hope. It gave me hope. He said, I've got to see that cross. So he told Dad, he said, I, I found my way back to God. He said, he said, he said I, when, I, when, I, when I bowed my head and I prayed and, and I thanked God for that cross, he said, he said I, I've got to go to the cross. I've got to kneel before it. So he took him to the top of that mountain. I'm going to tell you something. When he got out of that van, he got over there below that cross where all that snow was piled up and he got down on his face before God. And he thanked God for saving him. He thanked God for delivering him. He promised God he would serve him the rest of his life. Let me tell you something. That same thing happened to every person that's ever come to the foot of the cross. I don't care where you've come from. May, I'm not talking about going in a snowstorm. I'm talking about at the Calvary. It's brought right here to this church. That's what that altar represents. It represents a place where Jesus was willing to die and shed His blood that you and I may have life. You see, that's what the cross is all about. What would the cross done for many people through the centuries? It has guided them back to God. It has brought them. It is worth. Was it worth the pain that Jesus suffered? Was it worth the spear in his side? Was it worth the crown of thorns pushed into his scalp? Was it worth the nails in his hands and feet? Yes! Because he was willing to give us hope. Such love, my friend, brings us away, shows us the way that, that, that wayward children can find their way back to God. Such love gives us hope. Our my friend, our life can never be... I'm, I want to tell you this. Your life and my life can never be so fouled up that God can't make a difference in it. There, you can, there, your life will never be to the point to where there is no hope as long as you look and believe that Jesus really, really sent His Son to die for you. If you believe that, and if you'll come to the cross believing that, let me tell you something... God can make a difference in your life. That's what it's all about. The cross is one of the most important parts in the life of the church, and sometimes we just pass it by. Let me ask you this morning, how about you? The cross can be your symbol of hope, as well as it was for this man. The cross can be that. The cross of Jesus Christ was not a pretty sight. It was painful. It was suffering. But I want to tell you something. The treasure that was found was the greatest treasure there ever was. Through all the pain and all the suffering, I found, the, I found security. I found peace. I found joy. I found salvation. And more than salvation in this life, I found eternal life at the foot of the cross where Jesus died for me. 
And you know what? He'll do the same for you. Because you see, it's at the cross where we find it all. Let me ask you this morning. Have you been to the cross? Have you knelt before that cross? Have you accepted what Jesus had done on that cross for you? If not, shame on you. Because He's offered it to you. All you need to do is come to Him and say, God, I need you in my life. I want you to control my life. I want you to possess me completely. And if you'll do that, you can walk out of these doors stepping high today. Because you can say, I've been to the cross and I know what it means. And I'm going to let you have that opportunity as Dick comes to lead us. Father, this morning, we thank you for the cross. We thank you, Lord, for the pain that you suffered willingly for each and every one of us. We thank you for the love that you had, Lord, the love that that showed that you cared enough about us, that no matter what we've done in life, no matter where we've been in life, Lord, that you are willing and you have paid that price for us. Father, you've given us hope, hope beyond this life, hope in eternity, because we know that we've been to Calvary and we've seen the Lord. Father, for that one that's maybe here this morning that's not not quite sure where they stand, let this be the day that they'll make their way out and meet you at the foot of that cross. And Father, we'll give you the thanks for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Will you, will you sing with us?